Armada readers, my name is Ratnaguna, and I have with me in the studio Advaya Chitta. Welcome, Advaya Chitta. Hello, Ratnaguna. Good to be here. <laughs> this is great to have you again because uh, you and I did a, a really good interview a couple of weeks ago about, um, what was it, consciousness and rebirth, which was really absorbing. Uh, before we begin today's topic, uh, I just want to introduce you a bit further. Uh, Advaya Chitta is a member of the Tree Ratna Buddhist Order, has been for getting on for 40 years. He's a clinical psychologist, or was, uh, you're now retired, aren't you? Yeah. And you have a special interest in science and f politics, I think. Uh, but that's not what we're going to talk about today, or we may touch on those things. Um, a week ago, you wrote to me and told me that I have a choice this week uh, of what I interview you on. It could either be Buddhism and science or music. So I thought, oh, that would be very interesting. I didn't know that you were particularly interested in music, but I am. Uh, I'm a great lover of music. I listen to quite a lot of music. And one of the questions that's exercised me over the past so many years is what I'm actually doing when I'm listening to music. Um, I know that often it's simple enjoyment. Um, let's say when I listen to the Beatles, which I've been doing a fair bit of recently, it's just pure enjoyment. Um, but when I listen to, say, Schumann, I've been listening to Schumann's piano music the last couple of days, and uh, there's similar kind of enjoyment as with the Beatles, but there seems to be another factor. There, there seems to be a significance to some of the music, at least. And I don't know what that significance is. I've been trying to figure out what's, what's he saying, what is the meaning. There seems to be meaning there, but at the same time, there is no meaning. So I'm hoping you'll shed some light on this for us. Plus, I'm sure you've got other things to talk about too. So over to you, Advaita. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I'll begin with a quote from cognitive scientist Steven Pinker. It was from about 20 odd years ago, uh, which he got quite a bit of criticism for amongst people who studied music and its uh, importance to human psychology. So uh, I'll read the quote. Yeah? Music is auditory cheesecake, an exquisite confection crafted to tickle the sensitive spots of at least six of our mental faculties. Compared with language, vision, social reasoning and physical know-how, music could vanish from our species and the rest of our lifestyle would be virtually unchanged. Music appears to be a pure pleasure technology, a cocktail of recreational drugs that we ingest through the ear to stimulate a mass of pleasure circuits at once. Gosh. Yes. And uh, as, as I say, he got quite a, a lot of criticism for that. I'm glad about that. <laughs> yes. Well, how, how to be, begin, um, if, if answer your question. I suppose I'll give the short answer and then we can go into the long answer. Um, I think the short answer from me is to be thoroughly disagree with Steve Pinker and say there can be deep, profound meaning expressed through music. Yeah. Music can invoke something that is beyond us yeah, or very deep and profound within us, um, depending on the sort of metaphor you like to use. Yeah. Um, and music is many, many things. Um, I would put it that um, 
how can I put it, thinking about this over the years, I would put it that human beings have got the wrong species name, yeah? We're called Homo sapiens, yeah? I would actually call us Homo musicus, yeah? Say um, that again? I would call us Homo musicus, the musical hominid. <laughs> yes. My goodness. <laughs> yes, because in thinking about it over the years, um, it appeared to me that music was so central to human life. Um, most, the vast majority of people listen to music. There's only a very few that are not interested. And it goes across cultures. I mean, there are different forms of music in different cultures. Um, but it's more or less universal to the human species. Um, and, you know, like you, I've always enjoyed music. Um, but I suppose I really started to get interested in it maybe about 20 years or so ago. Um, certainly by the, about 15 years ago, um, I was becoming very interested in what music was. And um, interestingly, in a music department of the local university that was round the corner from my home, there was a conference being put on which was called um, the First International Conference of Music and Consciousness. So I thought, I've got to go to that. <laughs> so I was an intruder, uh, being an outsider to, to the field of you know, psychology of music and the like. But it was a very interesting, you know, two and a bit days of, um, of conference, you know, looking at music and uh, how it... Um, is involved in people's lives, etc., etc., and and the and looking at things like well, music and consciousness. I think was one of the uh, one of the talks called you know um, looking at neuropsychology and music and and so on, and it got it got me thinking basically about the importance of, of music. So I realised looking back that. Um, for me, music, and interestingly, my interest in the Dharma uh, had overlapped in certain in intriguing ways um, as well. Um, that they that sort of overlapped, um, and I, I just started thinking about you know what music is and. Um, wondering you know especially having been to this conference you know when human beings had started to develop music yeah i think the first known musical instruments that um, have been found are from about 30,000 to 40,000 years ago mm -hmm. um some pieces of bone which had had holes made in the bone so they could be played like a flute. Yeah. Um, that's the, uh, the, the, I think, the earliest possible instruments that have been found. But, of course, they might, people might have been playing for quite something quite a long while before that. But I started to think about it. And, and I realised that 
the skills needed in making music could have a very beneficial effect on the human species and its evolution. Um, Unlike Steve Pinker, who seemed to think that music was just a evolution happened for other reasons and music was just a byproduct of our developed skills. I started to think, well, if our early ancestors started to have fun making noises, yeah, and making noises together, maybe that was enough to, well, keep them going, making noises and then experimenting and then creating noises and discovering what sort of noises they could make. But the skills involved in doing that are very diverse when one one thinks about it. Um, For example, if you're, if you're, um, I've got some sort of physical instrument, yeah, you know, you've got to play it in some way. Perhaps it's making a it's a percussion, a simple percussion instrument, yeah. Um, but it takes some dis- dexterity to do that, yes. And also, if you're playing alongside other people, you've got to be aware, come aware, have the skills to be aware of what they're playing so that you can play along in some way, yeah. So you've got to be able to attend to what other people are doing, yeah, whilst doing something yourself yeah and the more i thought about it the more skills i realized there were in a a group of people sort of singing playing musical instruments and also dancing together yeah Mm -hmm. a a great set of skills you know cooperative skills for example linguistic skills involved in the singing and the more i thought about it the more i thought could having fun making noises together and discovering music and making music actually have knock-on effects that meant the skills you're developing playing music could be used elsewhere, like in hunting, for example, um, so that you're more likely to survive yeah, the people who are more inclined to be musical, more likely to survive and part, you know, have children, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, was music actually at some point a catalyst for, if you like, a very important part of human evolution? Yeah, the development of higher skills, and it's interesting in that that regard that, for example, part of the brain called the cerebellum. Yeah, which is um, involved in motor coordination, you know, coordination of our, our movements. Yeah, in in sort of modern humans, it's um, a higher proportion of the brain. It's larger than in our sort of nearer human or hominoid species from the past, like Neanderthals. Yeah, the cerebellum grew. Yeah, in re- in relation to the rest of the brain, it got larger. 
Yeah. Um, and I find that very interesting because you, know, you need the cerebellum for motor coordination. And of course, music takes a lot of motor coordination in, in, in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are, there are other aspects of, um, you know, human skills that um, I think music and playing music together can help nurture and bring about. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. You're reminding me of um, the philosopher Roger Scruton, who's written a book uh-huh. called The Aesthetics of Music. Uh-huh. And it's quite a big book and very detailed. Um, and it's quite a long time since I read it. But I seem to remember his main point was that music is essentially communal mm-hmm. and is, in a sense, a metaphor for community. Uh-huh. Yeah, that uh, it's a way of learning how to be in community. And uh, I listened to uh, a series of lectures by Daniel Barenboim a few years ago, hey. where he said a similar kind of thing, that the whole thing about an orchestra is everyone has a part to play. And sometimes you come up to the front and you're the soloist, and then you go back and you're just in in the community and someone else is doing the solo. But you, uh, an orchestra is like a, a metaphor for society. I thought that was really interesting. Oh, yes, indeed. And um, I so strongly suspect that the cooperation needed to make music, play music together, help people develop the skills of being able to interact more and more on social level, yeah. Mm. So I think that the two are very much related, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't put say music is just about community, yeah, mm. but I think it's a very important aspect of it, yeah. Well, yeah, because an, yeah, an orchestra plays together, you know. Um, also, I, I remember when um, years and years ago I went along to just try and sing in a, in a choir. This was a long time ago. I wasn't a singer, but with some friends, we went along, you know, amateurs were invited. And I was astounded by the feeling one got by being in a choir, singing along with other people, with an orchestra happening. There was this incredible sense of community mm. um, whilst one sang and, and played together. Yeah. So I think it's a very important aspect of music is, is its communal side, shall we say. Yeah. Yes, and mm. that's interesting because in that instance you were actually participating in the music. Mm. And I believe that in the early days of making music, everyone participated, whether they were singing, playing, bashing something or dancing. But nowadays we have an orchestra with a choir and we have an audience passively listening to it. So Mm. have you ever thought about that, the the distinction between the players and the audience? Um, Not particularly myself, yeah. I think originally it would have been um, much more communal. Everybody got up to do it together or such communal events i suspect were a vital part of you know ancient hunter gatherers music making mm-hmm. but who knows whether there was um, people sitting down and just playing for themselves yes and others just listening i suspect there were too mm-hmm. yeah um so yes i'd say you know it is very definitely communal but maybe even from the beginning there was 
a sort of more introspective side to it as well. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, because even when you're in a concert hall listening, in a sense, you are participating. Mm. Uh, musicians know this, that uh, the, the quality of the audience listening actually has an effect on their performance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. yes, yeah. So yes, well, yeah. Even as a listener, it is a it is very active process to actually listen to mm. music. Yes, you've got to follow it and deliberately follow it. You know, and well, that's an interesting s- skill to think of as well. The ability for us to keep our mind a focus of attention on something we want to. You know, when did human beings start developing that sort of basic mindfulness skill? Mm, Yes. Did music actually help them develop that? Yeah, because you had to follow music and you had to keep your attention on task, shall we say, in order order to play well, you know. Mm. Yes, yeah, Mm. because um, uh, music works partly with repetition, doesn't it? So, Mm. you know, you hear a a motif, as they call it, uh, a tune, a melody, and it comes back later, and perhaps it comes back slightly changed, and you Mm. notice that, and it has an effect on you. But if you hadn't been paying attention to the first part, the second part (laughs) wouldn't have such an effect on you. No, 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 no. Yes. 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 So, yeah, so musicians have to be aware of each other. (laughs) Yeah, they do. They do, yes. Um, So, so far we've we've talked about the the evolutionary aspect of music and the hunter-gatherers and community Mm. and learning new skills. Uh, What else is there to say about music? (laughs) Quite a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm hoping you're going to say. (laughs) Well, I I could try. I suppose one important thing to say about music is that music expresses emotion, yes, and it can express all sorts of emo- emotion. Um, you know that's that's very clear. It, it's musical on one level is sounds sounds that are interesting and fun and have a beauty in themselves. Yeah, that's one aspect of music. But also music expresses emotion, and that is a very important um, aspect to it. Um, it can also, if, if you look, how can I put it, it, it can also fulfil particular functions, like, for example, getting warriors ready for battle, mm. yeah? or at a funeral as um, a tribute or as a remembrance of the person who's died. Yeah, it can have various different functions as well. Yeah, but it certainly expresses, um, you know, different emotions. Um, and as I say, yeah, also has different different purposes. I'm rem- saying, as I was saying that, I was reminded of Charles Darwin's ideas about music and, and what it was for, um, which is a, actually, I think, was probably quite an important aspect of music making way back in the hunter-gatherer time and um, s- still an important aspect of it, of it now, which was it was actually about display of one's fitness for sexual purposes. Yeah. Um, My goodness. 
Yeah. Well, think of the, the, the youngsters going to a disco, yes, and and dancing together. Um, you know, dances of, of all sorts. You know, in um, contemporary times, certainly in when I was growing up, yeah, you went and tried to find a partner. <laughs> by going to the local dance or the local disco or, 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 or whatever, yeah? And the same could happen in a hunter-gatherer society. You know, people up there dancing, you're able to assess, you know, how physically strong they are, what what qualities they have through their dancing and also perhaps through their playing of instruments and, and singing, yeah? Um, it... it it um, has the function of displaying, you know, who would be a good mother or father to your children. Yeah. Um, so there, there, there's there's that aspect of it as well. Mm. Yeah. But it, you know, it has lots of functions, um, and let's say it has it has lots of um, emotions connected with it which can be dealt with in all in all sorts of of ways i mean i I mentioned sort of basic um sort of sexual it's basic sexual function of certain types of music making and dancing yeah um if one thinks of lots of pop songs and what they're about it's about you know one um, young person um falling in love with a with with another person yeah so lots of music is is on that level that's what it's about you know which i think is is something that you know goes back tens of thousands of years yeah um but it can also go beyond beyond that to bring in so deeper um, emotions. For example, I'm, I'm thinking of a song by Sting here, um, Fields of Gold. Yeah. On one level, it's about two young people meeting up, shall we say, um, and, and sexual love. Yeah. But it actually goes beyond that, um, because it's a, it is about family, and it's about um, commitment as well. Yeah. Um, so a song can have different levels to it, in in and sort of different emotional levels to it, and it can become songs can become quite complex as as well. I'm thinking. Um, of a, of a song by Beethoven that had me crying the first time I heard it, which is when I, I saw it, which was um, actually it was from an opera. Um, by, his only by, opera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, his only opera, you know. And it was um, you know, a quartet. It was four, four, four singers. I know exactly the one you're going to talk about. <laughs> it's absolutely marvellous, isn't it? Oh, it is. It, it had me in tears because, yes. because well, for those the, those who who don't know it, Fidelio is a, a young woman who pretends to be a young man to go and work in a prison where her husband is actually been imprisoned. He's a political prisoner. She's going to try and find a way to get him out, yeah? So Fidelio works in the prison, but the um, the prison um, warder's daughter 
falls in love with Fidelio. <laughs> yes. Um, so the song is about the the the, 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 um, the prison prison warder's daughter is singing of her love for Fidelio. Fidelio is sort of singing her regret that it's now got so complicated. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's two other voices. The the uh, the. the prison warden himself who is actually singing of his joy that his daughter seems to be falling in love with a good young man <laughs> and then there's another voice which is another young man who actually has fallen in love with the warden's daughter who's singing of his regret you know and uh, anguish at seeing that she loves somebody else you know so you've yeah. got four different emotional expressions going on at once and it, it, it's and what's interesting about that yeah. scene is that mm. in a way it's very comic there's mm. so much misunderstanding mm. but at the same time it's deeply moving isn't it indeed indeed yeah, amazing. Yeah. amazing you could yeah and you can you can feel with every one every one of those four people at the same time you know you yeah. can feel for them but differently you know. yeah yeah it's amazing yeah. that's yeah. an amazing piece of music but mm. that's by a um <laughs> you've now brought in song which is a certain form of music with words mm. yeah and words have meanings yeah so when you've got a song fields of gold for instance yeah you're telling us about the meaning of the words uh, and you've said a couple of times that emotion expresses music. Not everyone would agree with that. Uh, uh, sorry, music expresses emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, Stravinsky, for instance, said that was a, a fallacy, that mm -hmm. it doesn't actually express emotions. And his reasoning was, if that was really your emotional life, you'd be a bit crazy because it's one <laughs> emotion after another. You just don't have that kind of thing. <laughs> So I, I brought up two two problems for you there. One is, yeah, but the meaning of a song is in the words and the, the music just backs that up in some way. And secondly, does music really express emotions? <laughs> I say, yes, it, it, it does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it can express them. I suppose sometimes it's putting them on, maybe it's putting emotions on display for one to, as it were, witness which is perhaps a, a, a bit different, yes. Mm. Um, but I think, f you know, and perhaps also sometimes it doesn't necessarily express emotion, although it can be very interesting and beautiful and fun to listen to, yes. yes. Mm. Um, I suspect if one analysed particular pieces of music, there would be these sort of how much these things were expressed in them would would vary perhaps you know uh, but um i would say that emotion is central to it actually yeah. i had an interesting experience after being on a retreat quite mm. a intense meditation retreat and when it finished i listened to the Chacon of uh, Bach, uh -huh, yeah. uh, originally for the violin, but I listened to it, someone playing on the piano, and I love that piece of music. That's why I listened to it at that point. And I remember feeling deeply moved by it, mm. and at the same time asking myself, 
what is the emotion I'm moved by? Because usually emotions relate to a situation or a person. You know, I, I, you know, I love my wife. That's an emotion. Uh, I feel angry with so and so. I'm I'm frustrated by this situation. But with music, if it doesn't have words, it's pure emotion without being uh, directed to any particular thing or person. Mm-hmm. Apparently, yes, that that's the case. Well, it, it reminds me. Um, well, I, I share a, a memory of listening to a particular piece of music that I did years ago, and this is a piece of music by Beethoven. It's his Moonlight Sonata. Now, I had a record with it on, and I'd played it, you know, various times. But there came an occasion when I really heard it for the first time. Yeah. And that occasion was I'd been reading a book, a novel, and got very upset because the novel went into um, an episode where it was describing torture. And I found it distressing. I put the, no- the novel down and I wanted something to calm me down. Yeah. So I thought, aha, I'll put on. Moonlight Sonata. So I, I put it on, and it was if, as if I was listening to it for the first time. Because, you know, Moonlight Sonata is just a piano, there are no words, yeah. But it was saying quite definitely on a certain level, there is suffering. But there is something beyond suffering. Ooh. And that's what came across to me. I'd never heard that in it before, but there it was, yeah. And I was interested a year or two later to come across a book on Beethoven where the author was making the point that Beethoven's music, an important theme, is suffering. Yeah, Mm. you know. And um, it's like music can go deeper, than just our ordinary emotions and can point to something deeper. And it can do that without voices. It can do that just sounds. Somehow they ex- they can express deep meaning. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, really interested in this, in mm. the expression of deep meaning. Mm. Um, not to try to make a... Uh, connection between Beethoven and the Buddha too obviously but you, you've just mentioned two of the four noble truths there haven't you the first yeah. one and the third one yeah. Yeah. Um, there is suffering and there's an end to suffering yeah mm. yeah yeah yes and I think you know there is music that goes beyond just what should we say ordinary human emotions that definitely points or embodies something deeper, something more profound. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll read uh, another little quote here. This, this one's from John Eliot Gardner, um, and it's about the, the music of Bach, which I think is um, sort of very interesting um, because um, I certainly agree with him. Um, you know, when he says this about Bach's music, Even to sceptical and agnostic minds, Bach's B minor mass 
radiates a recognisable and powerful spirituality, one that does not rely on creedal orthodoxy, odd though that might appear. His art celebrates the fundamental sanctity of life, an awareness of the divine and a transcendent dimension as a fact of human existence. Interpreting it is all about the drama of discovering the revelation inscribed in each movement and is indissolubly fused to his personal style, the inner poet hiding in the recesses of his counterpoint. Above all, as musicians, you can never afford to be earthbound, to plod, in other words. It has to dance. Ultimately, his style is also vision. Misjudge the style and you miss the vision. Yeah. My goodness. Mm. Yeah. Uh, One could spend an hour studying that. <laughs> in, indeed, yes. You know, and you know, he's talking about Bach. I love the music of Bach. You know, and I thoroughly agree with um, you know John what John Eliot Gardner is saying there. And I find it very interesting. Here am I, a Western Buddhist. You know, Bach was a Lutheran, and you know, and he's writing music setting you know Christian um, texts etc to music and yet I find it very very moving <laughs> yeah well if I may bring in uh, uh, Wilfred Cantwell Smith here have you heard of him <laughs> no, no, no not a musician but uh, uh, a lay Christian minister from Canada mm-hmm. uh, he's long dead now but he was also one of the first comparative religionists with a particular interest in Islam interesting right But uh, the reason I'm bringing him in is because he wrote a really wonderful and important book, I think, called um, Faith and Belief, The Difference Between Them. Uh And uh, he talks about the fact that uh, the word credo, or we call it belief now, has changed its meaning over the last couple of hundred years. And it didn't used to mean belief. Belief being being uh, assent, intellectual assent to certain ideas. Uh-huh. Yeah, it didn't used to mean that. It, it's similar to our word shraddha or sadha. It's built on the same root, which is da, which means faith. So the point he makes about the B minor mass in this book is that you're not listening to Bach telling you what he believes in. You're listening to his far- heartfelt commitment to his faith. Mm. which is a very different thing. And that made me think that every time I listen to Bach, even if it's a so-called secular work, it feels like he's expressing his faith. Mm. Indeed, yes, I would agree with that. Yes. Mm. And that faith is, is, I think, a natural human heart connection to the transcendental, shall we call it that? Yeah, mm. I call it the profound these days. Of course, in Christian context, they would interpret that theistically. You know, I'm a Buddhist, I don't interpret it theistically. But I would say, well, we share this in common with other people, Buddhists with other people, that people can have a heartfelt connection to that which is profound, that which is transcend- transcendental. Yeah. Yes. And that can be expressed through music. Very interesting because another point Wilfred Cantwell Smith makes is that faith uh, unites us mm. because, you know, that our feeling for the profound is pretty much the same as a Christian's or a Muslim. Mm. Uh, but belief divides us because ah. the, way we, the way we understand <laughs> it, we all understand that in very different ways. Indeed. Yes. 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 So, uh, but that's very interesting. So let's talk a little bit about um, music and 
uh, spirituality or religion because they're always they've always been very very much connected um, and in our movement uh, the Tri Ratna Buddhist community we use music in some ways um, in not very skillful ways I think uh, to help us with our feelings of devotion to the Buddha and so on I'm thinking of the mantras mm. chanting uh, in the puja and so on um, sometimes it's not that great because People these days are not very musical. They haven't been trained to sing and so on. But if you ever go to Germany and you're on a retreat in Germany, when they sing, when they chant, God, it's completely different. It's so moving. <laughs> well, it reminds me of actually my, my first experience of hearing mantra and also my first experience of chanting mantra and that's in this country 40 odd, odd year, years ago and i remember i was at the buddhist center but i wasn't going to the regulars class i'd, I'd come there f to to make a booking for a retreat and everybody else went upstairs and i just lingered on downstairs for a while and then i heard this chant yeah Having read about it, I knew what it was. It was the Avalokiteshvara Mantra. I was utterly struck by its beauty and depth. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was like, um, it was telling me something like Beethoven's music had done, yeah. Um, you know, in that Moonlight Sonata. But it was going even deeper. That was my actual experience of it. Yeah. So it was speaking to you of suffering and the transcendence of suffering? Yes, and a sort of com compassionate response to it. And it, it was saying that it wasn't going through my head. It was coming, if you like, through... That was what I was... Hearing is almost the wrong word here. It was feeling. You know, it was... It was um, bringing about an intense feeling, yeah. Mm. And I don't know how it, it did that, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. And then a few weeks later, I went on that retreat and did my first puja. My gosh, <laughs> you know, sort of my first um, experience of chanting the Padma Sambhava mantra. Mm. Well, <laughs> how to, how to d d describe it? Um, I wasn't expecting what happened, shall we say. <laughs> okay, so what did happen? <laughs> um, how about dissolving into a, a sort of infinite space with a dance of ecstatic energy? <laughs> My goodness. Hang on, yeah. Oh. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'd read about sort of the Tantra and such energies, but to be suddenly uh, introduced to them, say. And I was amused years later to learn that the mantra, as we were chanting it, had actually had a mispronunciation in part mm. of it as well, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, it was a sort of English mispronunciation of a Tibetan mispronunciation of a Sanskrit word, but it still had a very extraordinary effect. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, 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 I still wonder how. <laughs> I expect the, uh, the mispronunciation was completely irrelevant to the to the mantra yeah well ob quite 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 obviously you know it was another another tibetan word put in in yeah yes you know yeah. but um 
I've always been puzzled, you know, how does how did mantra have such strong effects? Because for me, although music has um, can have a very strong effect, mantra has had even stronger. Um, and I just scratch my head in puzzlement as to as to why that that can be. Yeah, yeah, because it's not as if mantras have a conceptual meaning. Some of them. We put a, a bit, conceptual yeah. meaning on them. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like the Avalokiteshvara mantra, um, the jewel in the lotus, you, you're mm. seeing the jewel in the lotus again and again and again. Yeah. And, of course, we understand what that means. But uh, the Padmasambhava mantra, that's just more or less Padmasambhava's name, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so yes. how, does, how, does that meet, how does that affect us so strongly? Well, it, indeed. Well, I suppose the, the tantra, um, you know, if you like, connects different um, mantras or different seed syllables to different chakras of the subtle energies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having through being introduced to such energies through that through that mantra, you know, I, I take I take it seriously. But that doesn't explain it. How on earth can that, that happen? And of course, that takes us into a whole up area you know that uh, modern science can't recognize um mm. you know of, of, of such things as the subtle energies um yes like as well mm. uh, you've got me thinking again now talking of mantras of meaning and music mm. uh i'm aware of two schools of thought i expect there are many other schools of thought but one school of thought says music on its own without words cannot express anything other than, say, feeling and emotion, mm. because there's no conceptual content there, so it can't express anything. Um, there's another school of thought that says, no, 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 music goes beyond conceptual concept. That what makes it so deep and so meaningful, so profound in your terms. Wh which one of those do you go with? I would go with the latter, <laughs> very, uh -huh. def very definitely. Um, I would even go far to say, you know, concepts are important and useful, but they have their limitations. They're, they're pointers to reality. Um, perhaps reality is something we need to directly experience. Yeah. Mm. And one way directly experience is if you like, how can I put it, to feel it, to hear it, yeah. So in that sense, I think I could say that you are in disagreement with our teacher, Sangharachita. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> yeah, I, th I think he's of the first school. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, we right, was. Right. Yeah. Oh, yes. right. Uh, yeah. uh, it's a pity I can't go and argue with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. That would be a great, that would be a great Zoom call, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. So where are we, Advaita? Have, have you said everything you want to say about music, or is there more yet? Is it, it, there more? I, I think we've we've sort of you know, gone into particular areas, you know, emotion, the skills, and also the deeper meaning to it. Mm. Yes. Mm. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think anything more I could add at the moment. Yeah. I've got one more topic for you. Right. <laughs> Something that you suggested to me in an email, which is the figure of the darkeny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So just to let everybody know, a darkeny is, is an image, mainly from Tibetan Buddhism. It's a, a figure, uh, a, a young woman, completely naked, red, drinking from a skull cup. And uh, I'll leave you to tell 
listeners uh, what that means, uh, <laughs> the, what all that means. But uh, there's something I would like to explore around that with you. Um, okay. Right. But you mentioned the darkening to me in, in an email and music. What's the connection there? The, the connection. Oh, I see. I very much connect the darkening to these the dance of these energies. Yes, and um, the darkening, if you like, is a, on the symbolic level, is a transformed energy. Yeah, often a transformed negative energy transformed into the positive. So a darkening is a released energy within the mind. Yeah. Um, there's a definite connection with music there, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, music. Well, that, that I suppose that takes us to the idea that music can be transformational. Ah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. 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 Uh, so my connection with the darkening music uh, goes back to a lecture that I heard Sangharach to give many years ago about Padmasambhava. I think it was on uh. Padmasambhava Day. We talked about the exoteric refuges and the esoteric refuges. Nice. Uh, the exoteric refuges are the ones we everyone knows: uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. But the Tantra, they had these um, the idea of these esoteric refuges. Uh, the first one being. The Buddha, instead of the Buddha, it's the guru, your immediate mm. teacher. The mm. second one is the yidam for the Dharma, which is the, the figure that you meditate on, the Bodhisattva or the Buddha. And the third one is the Sangha, is the Dharkani. And he said something very interesting about that. He said uh, the Dharkani represents love, affection, uh, released energies, but also uh, um, um conversation or, or uh, I can't think of the word now, community. Um, uh, communication. communication. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's communication in a particular way. And he, he talks about the fact that within the Sangha, we have to communicate or we should be communicating through our inner darkening. In other words, through love, through affection, uh, a kind of softness towards each other, which I thought was tremendous. Hmm. Yes, and I would agree, yes. Uh, and perhaps you could say that an ideal sangha is a dance of the darkness. Yes. Yeah. Um, I find, I suppose, an important aspect of, of music, um, and I think of communication and of relationship, is joy. Yeah, mm. Sharing joy with other people. Yeah, and in other in other people, yeah, and I think the darkening certainly embodies, uh, symbolises that, yeah, and you know, darkening is not just one dancer, one amongst many darkenies and darkers, um, the, the male versions too, yeah, mm. um, maybe it's a very good image to have of the sangha, is it's a dance. Mm. Yeah, people dancing together. Yes. Yeah, in a profound way. Yeah. Hmm. This sounds like a very good place to end our interview, <laughs> Adriana Chitta. Right. Thank you so much again. It's just been great to talk to you. Really um, yeah. stimulating. Right. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Mm.